0: Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. God is so good. Good to see you all here tonight. Just have a couple things that uh, I want to remind you of. Uh, Next Sunday, Mark and Trina Hankins are going to be with us all day, uh, 8.30, 10.30, and uh, 6 o'clock at night, so bring your running shoes, uh, bring your shouting shoes. You never know what's going to happen, but we know uh, it'll be good. And so really from uh, understanding who you are in Christ, the blood of Jesus, there's probably not a much better teacher uh, in the body of Christ really brings that. And then just the anointing uh, to cause us, uh, I don't know which direction we'll go, but to revive us, stir us, to rejoice and understand that there's power and strength in the joy of the Lord. And uh, so it's always great to have them uh, with us. And uh, That's what better way to lay out, you know, for Palm Sunday. And so they'll be here for that. Then the next week is Easter Sunday, 8.30 and 10.30, and then there'll be no 6 o'clock service on Easter. And then um, April 18th, John Grunewald will will be with us in the 8.30 and the 10.30 service. And so that'll be great. Next Saturday night, 5 o'clock, mark your calendars, do all that. Mark and Trina will be here. They'll be teaching on prayer. We'll be doing some worship, teaching on prayer, and then praying together, and uh, that'll be a a great time. If you weren't here this morning, weren't prepared with your local church tithes and offerings, I want to give you an opportunity to give, and uh, so all those things are up there. They're not up there, I guess, so uh, praise the Lord. Uh, I like what Zane said the other day. We have one for every generation, so... um, if you're uh, giving by cash or debit or credit card, raise your hand, the ushers will get you an envelope. If you're watching online, you're one generation, you can send it in by mail or you can go online uh, and, and give by the app or you can go into our text, you can go to the text giving or you can just go on and, uh, to the website and go to punch the giving uh, button and give that way. We appreciate your generosity and all that you have uh, given. And the things that have happened because of your giving. And so uh, we are grateful and thankful for that. We believe that God is supplying all of your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And as Alan said this morning, that's a pretty good resource uh, to be able to draw from is his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Thank you for your enthusiasm. See, when you understand that a little bit more, then you get the whole fullness of what Alan said this morning. Let them shout for joy and be glad those who favor my righteous cause. See, it takes a while to set in. Let them shout for joy and be glad who favor my righteous cause. How many of you favor his righteous cause? Right? And so we get to shout for joy and be glad, not drag ourselves around, I favor God's righteous cause. Oh, my God. But no, we get to shout for joy and be glad who favor my righteous cause. And let them say once a month. Let them say continually, let the Lord be magnified, who takes pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. See, all those things go together. That prosperity, that fullness, that rich life, it all goes together. First of all, favoring God's righteous cause. Well, really, first of all, shouting for joy and being glad. But why are we glad? Because we favor his righteous cause, right? We're not caught up in the politics of the day. We're not caught up in what the enemy's doing and what he's trying to do. We're we're caught up in God's righteous cause. When you see God's righteous cause for humanity, you shout for joy and be glad. And then you have something to say continually. Not let me be magnified. Not let everything else be magnified. Let the Lord be magnified. Because he takes pleasure in prospering his people or his servants. Amen? That's a great thing. And so... uh, Man, when you look and see that, you know what, I'm not depending upon everything else. God supplies all of my need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus, not by what I can do about it, but what he can do about it. And he can certainly do a lot more than I can do. And so many times, you know, you just come to the point of just saying, you know, what somewhere I just have to get a confession. You know, I've tried everything I've worked. 60, 70 hours a week, I've tried figuring it out, I've tried planning it out, I've tried uh, organizing it out, I've tried prioritizing it out, and it just seems like at the end of the week, the end of the month, there's still not enough. And so sometimes you just keep doing that, but sometimes you just got to start getting down in your heart by a confession of God's Word. He supplies all my need. He supplies all my need. Glory to God. He supplies all my need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. You start doing that, and all of a sudden you start to say, well, how does he do that? Well, I see. We enter into a covenant plan. There's a plan that he has of giving and receiving, right? And his whole desire is not uh, you give more. His desire is you can't outgive me. So when we talk about giving and receiving in the kingdom of God, he says, I want you to get a heart of giving. Because you can't actually have a heart of receiving until you first have a heart of giving. Come on. You can't first have a heart of, uh, you know, we think, boy, if somebody would just give to me, you think you can have a heart of receiving, but you can't really have a proper heart of receiving until you have a heart of giving. Right? So, you know, if I come up and, and, and say, you know, uh, here, Jonathan, I want to give you, uh, you know, some money. Tasha took all my big bills. Um, just want to give you something. Come on. Thank you. So, see, I, you know, I'm like, I'm giving grudgingly of necessity, right? So then when he tries to give it to me, what? Oh, no, man. I don't deserve it. Don't give it to me. And we get this weird thing that goes on. But it's like, man, I'm so glad to give this to you. And he receives it. Now I know what giving. I'm giving to bless him. And so now I know what receiving is about. And I can openly receive anything that God wants to pour in me because God will take care of my needs. He'll supply everything that I need, right? So that I have all sufficiency in everything, but then I'm able to give to every charitable donation. So Sometimes we get hung up on, is it about giving or is it about receiving, right? You all just want, want to get more from God. No, we don't want to just get more. God set up a plan that if we don't understand giving, we'll never understand receiving. And it gets all wonky. Right, we, If we give grudgingly, then when God tries to give to us, we're like, no, no, no. But then we go to prayer. God, why don't you take care of me? But when you get into understanding covenant and you're giving, then all of a sudden receiving, it just becomes a continual flow. That's what God designed from the very beginning is an understanding of a continual flow. Amen? Praise God. And so we just continue to grow in our understanding of the blessing of God. Amen. And so, uh, as we're flying here, you can put your offering in the receptacle there or there, and uh, praise the Lord. Follow the lighted signs on the on the floor. All right, open your Bibles with me to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter five and verse twenty-one. On Sunday night, we have been talking about the subject of righteousness. We're going to spend a little bit of time. Uh, on sin consciousness tonight, which I know that might not thrill you, but we'll break out of that just as soon as we can. Um, But 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this. Most of you know 5.17 says that any man that be in Christ is a new creation. We're new creations, right? If you drive up, you see that right on the sign, new creation church, it always amazed me, especially in the 80s, you know, uh, I'm probably not out as much as I should get out anymore, so I don't know some things, but in the 80s, you know, uh, New Age was around, and it was big around here, and so uh, people, Christians who've been a Christian for a long time would drive up and say, New Creation Church, what is that, some kind of New Age thing? I'm like, hmm, Second Corinthians 5.17, it's in the Bible. <laughs> oh, huh. any man that be in Christ is a New Creation Old things have passed away, and behold, everything has become new. And now that everything is new, everything that is new is of God. Right? Anything that now, now everything that he's talking about, the everything that has become new is now everything of God, which really means we gave our life to him, and he came in and filled up, recreated our human spirit to be a place where the Holy Spirit could dwell. Now, how did he do that? He had to wipe out all sin. God can't dwell where sin is, and so he had to wipe out all sin. Praise the Lord. We'll look at it in a moment. When he came in, he was also wiping out all consciousness of sin, if we allow him to do that. So he goes on to talk about reconciliation. But here in 21, it says that he who knew no sin became sin for us. Now, that's a highlight in understanding redemption and overcoming sin consciousness. He became sin for us. And so he was our ultimate substitute. And so when we see that he became sin for us, it should register something in us that not only did Adam sin and not only did did, uh, we make mistakes in our life and, and, and be violators of the law, but through Adam's sin, by nature, we became partakers of sin, of the very nature of sin. So Jesus had to become what we had become through Adam's fall in order to break the power of that so that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, right? And so we have this consciousness of sin that exists because Isaiah said, you know, and when we get into the idea of righteousness and talk about righteousness... Religious thinking always just goes, oh, don't talk about that, because we look at Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, Paul says, "Uh, there's none righteous, no, not one. But he goes on to talk about things. If you read it, he's actually talking about man's condition in Adam, man's condition in Adam. So you have to read past that, that place in Romans chapter 3 where there's none righteous, no, not one. There's, one. there's none without knowledge. Their mouth is an open sepulcher and go past all that. But then he says, but God, right? He goes on and says, but that was all under the law, but now the righteousness of God is revealed through faith, right? And so he goes on to talk about that in Romans chapter 3. So we, we get this idea, well, don't, let's don't talk about righteousness. And we go to Isaiah, and Isaiah said our own righteousness is as filthy rags, right? And so we can't get there. So we think, well, you know, don't think about righteousness because our mind immediately goes to that sin consciousness that we could never be righteous. And under sin, you cannot be righteous. And you cannot achieve righteousness on your own. And so even sin consciousness will begin to get in the heart of believers thinking that if I repent enough, if I go to church enough, if I give enough, If I do some kind of penance enough, I'll make it and I'll overcome. But that in itself, those are all good from a direction, but that in itself, to make you feel worthy of righteousness, never does it. And so that sin consciousness gets us in a, a cycle of saying, listen, God, man, I prayed for 52 hours. I fasted at the beginning of the year. I still got problems. And then we begin as Christians to say, is this even working? And the answer is No. In and of itself, it is not working because you can't do enough penance or repentance trying to earn it yourself. That is not the cure for sin consciousness. And it's part of your consciousness because we were developed that way. One writer says this. I like what he says. Sin, sin consciousness, praise the Lord. Do you have your glasses, Bucky? Can I borrow your glasses for a second? My contact's not working. A little brighter light or something. Dear Lord, have mercy. <laughs> uh, are these prescription? Oh, there we go. All right, got it. <laughs> so sin consciousness can be traced as the reason for practically every spiritual failure. Sin consciousness can be traced as the reason for practically every spiritual failure. Listen, sin consciousness destroys faith, and it destroys the initiative in the heart. It gives man an inferiority complex. Come on, sin consciousness. We, We don't think about it, but sin consciousness, that consciousness of who we are and what sin has done to our life, really creates that place of, Uh, of an inferiority complex and unworthiness. I'm not worthy. Look at what I've done. Yet in all that feeling of unworthiness, we keep trying to feel worthy, but we can't do that because unworthiness always will create these things. Unworthiness will destroy your faith. Unworthiness will destroy your faith. You know, the enemy will work it in your system to think, my unworthiness is humility. No, unworthiness, it destroys your faith in God. It'll rob you of your peace of mind. Unworthiness, you know, no matter how many times you go, no matter how, how many times you repent, you're not worthy. It'll destroy your peace of mind, it'll just start messing with you. Unworthiness will uh, infect your prayer life. A feeling of unworthiness will infect your prayer life. Because when we come to prayer, we come boldly to the throne of grace. Knowing that we're sons and daughters. When we come in like an unworthy worm, we're trying to sneak around the throne so God doesn't see us too much. <laughs> I mean, your prayer life just gets weird. Your prayer life gets to being like, okay, God, now you're going to do, do God a deal. right? Unworthiness starts to get you to do deals with God. Now, God, if I do this, then I'll serve you all the days of my life. Now, some people have followed through with that. But most people don't. And it gets, to be, it gets to be hard and it gets to be sad. I was with a, a, a woman one time. She began to come to the church. Somebody brought her for healing. Uh, she'd found cancer in her body and uh, ministered to her. She made Jesus the Lord of her life and uh, things were still working in her body. So I went to visit her in the, uh, the care facility that she was in one time. And uh, just talking to her, just the way people think, and this is that sin consciousness. Though she had been born again, she hadn't had uh, teaching on who she was in Christ. There hadn't been that time. So she sat down, and we were talking for a while, and she said, you know, uh, Pastor, uh, if you pray, and you know, if God heals me, I have a great deal of financial resources that I can give. And I had to say, Kirsch, it's not about that. It's not about that at all. God loves you. No matter how much money you have, Jesus died for you. You don't have to cut a deal with God. Well, why would you do that? Unworthiness. So you guys may go, oh, you've had teaching, but there's people out there who are like, I don't know what to do about the ill in my life. How could I cut a deal with God? Because that sin consciousness moves in, and it begins to deal with us. And even as believers, we get to that place where it starts to infect things about our life. Unworthiness will rob us of our fellowship and our communion with God unworthiness won't allow you to come to that throne of grace and just obtain mercy and find grace to help. It'll affect your communion and your fellowship with God. Now, when we get to talking about this, I know people will they'll begin to think in their mind, well, now if you start talking about this, people will just think they're righteous. They'll just go ahead and, and do whatever. No, the thing that keeps us doing things that are wrong is that sin consciousness. Right? We want to say we're righteous, but if we don't have a real true heart understanding of our righteousness that we have in Christ Jesus, it will never uh, uh, overcome where we're at in that sin consciousness. And in fact, God endeavors to relate to us the difference between the old and the new. And what he was actually impressing from the old covenant was sin consciousness. And God, for the, the Jews in the Old Testament, he was reminding them every single year of sin. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews the 10th chapter. Now just stay with me. I know this is a slow-moving message, and it's feeling a little heavy right now. But when we begin to, to, to unpack it, I believe as we begin to unpack it and we begin to see all of a sudden, I hope lights go on and go, oh, man, I didn't think I did, but there's still some sin consciousness. If you've got rid of it, you're just rejoicing, going, I know what that was like, and I'm free. I've got the understanding of righteousness. But perchance, what, what, what we are moving into and, and what we've been talking about in the morning service is about a spirit-led life. If you have that sin consciousness, you have that feeling of unworthiness, it's going to be difficult to be led by the Spirit of God. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, daughters of God. And if you have sin consciousness, you're struggling with the idea that I'm really a son and a daughter of God. Again, I'm not talking about what you know in your mind. I'm talking about what sets into our consciousness right when things go wrong what it is that keeps cycling the loop in your your thinking that kicks up when things go wrong what did I do how did I do why did I do that I must have done something wrong now I got to fix it what am I going to do right to fix it and all of a sudden we get in a quandary that I got to fix it before God can turn this to make this right and it just messes with you even as a believer and so if we can break that loop When something goes wrong, we don't immediately start cycling. I've done wrong. I messed this up. I've done all this. But we realize wait a minute, wait a minute. I know exactly how to put my foot on the neck of the enemy. I know exactly how to take my authority. Over him. See, he's trying to make you under think that you don't have any authority because of that sin consciousness that begins to torment many. It begins to bring that that insecurity, that inferiority complex, which is a type of fear. Right? It's a type of fear. And so perfect love casts out all fear. Why? Because fear has torment. Fear has torment, the fear of failing, the fear of not measuring up, the unworthiness, that fear that I'm unworthy and I'll never measure up will create torment. And God doesn't like that. So he wants you to know how much he loves you and how much he redeemed you. And he paid the price so that you could be righteous. So that when the enemy comes to bring some type of fear to torment you, you can throw off that fear and say, no, not today. That doesn't belong to me. Amen. Praise the Lord. And so here in in, uh, verse 1 of chapter 10, it says, For for the law having a shadow, everybody say shadow. shadow. Having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things, can never with the same sacrifices which they offered continually year by year make those who approach perfect. Right? He's saying, under that sin consciousness, even if you bring a sacrifice year after year after year, even if you try to bring a sacrifice when things are going bad, week after week after week, right? When things go wrong, maybe you haven't been coming to church and things are going wrong, but now they're wrong. I got to get to church. I got to make things right. Again, it's not a bad thing, but in and of itself, That consciousness of sin, and somehow I can do something to turn this around, won't turn it around. Why? Because it's not a problem with your church attendance. It's a problem with your consciousness of sin, right? Because if you weren't conscious of sin, you wouldn't immediately go, I got to get to church to fix this. If there was righteousness consciousness, you'd already be in church, (laughs) right? Church wouldn't fix it. Church is a place where you enjoy fellowship with the body. Church isn't a fix-it thing. Church is a fellowship thing. Church is a body thing. Church is an understanding. We're righteous. We're right with God. We're connected. We're the body because we're righteous. So we're all connected as the body of Christ. We're not coming to fix something. All right, that went over good. All right, verse two. For then you would, uh, for then they would not have ceased to be off, the, the, for they would not have been ceased to be offered. For the worshipers, once purified, would have no more consciousness of sin. If it said the human sacrifice or the sacrifice that man could bring, the blood of bulls and goats, could have done it, then they they would have stopped bringing the sacrifice. Why? Because it would have purified their conscience from sin. But the blood of bulls and goats could never clean the conscience from sin. Verse 3, but in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sin every single year. So every year when they had to bring sacrifices, it reminded them, we are sinful, there's nothing we can do about it, we're just bringing these sacrifices to cover us until next year. There's a sin consciousness. Well, why would God do that? Why would God keep his people in a sin consciousness? Because he's pointing to the one sacrifice, that one time for everything. What God wanted his people to realize is you kept bringing that, and you knew this didn't do it, we're coming back next year. But it's pointing to the one sacrifice, that one time for everybody. There will never be a year after year after year sacrifice. Through the one sacrifice, it'll take care of it forever. As we said last week, you can read on. Uh, You can go back to chapter 9. That the blood of Jesus cleanses us, cleanses our conscience from dead works. The blood of Jesus cleanses our conscience. There's no place, no place, I believe Smith Wigglesworth said this, there is no place in your life that the blood of Jesus cannot reach into and cleanse. No place that the blood of Jesus cannot reach into and cleanse. Come on, that's what he wants to do. All right, he said, but in those sacrifices, there's a year, every year, a reminder of sin. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sin. It's not possible, couldn't take it away. And so we begin to understand that there is this this place, this understanding. And as believers, we want to understand this, and sometimes we don't, that when we become believers in Jesus Christ, that in that we become a partaker of the very nature of God. But what we don't understand is that through Adam's sin, by nature, we were partakers of the nature of Satan, right? There's something that took place. So we became what he was. Jesus even said this to the Pharisees. He said, listen, you are of your father, the devil. He was a murderer, and you're a murderer. You killed the prophets to shut the voice. He's a a liar, and he's the father of it, and you're just following that very nature that he has. You are a partaker of the nature of the one who is lording it over your life. And when we get born again, Jesus became sin, right, He became that very same nature to break the power of that nature so that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ. We didn't just make a mistake. We didn't just have some problems, but we were partaking of the very nature or the very life flow that came from the head of sin himself, the devil. Right. And the world's out there wandering around in darkness, they're groping in darkness, wondering what's going on, trying to fulfill, having this sin consciousness, trying to shade it, say there's nothing wrong with it. But they're trapped in something that is by nature against God. Turn over to Second Corinthians chapter six. Second Corinthians chapter six. We're getting ready to turn a corner here. And so we start to understand from God's perspective, there's a difference. There's a difference. When we talk about this, we are out to reach lost in a lost and dying world. But here he's talking about this close fellowship and understanding these two issues that we have. Instead of looking around and just going, you know, we kind of we move and flow generally in life in a gray area, you know, everybody's kind of gray, and then you have these really bad people, they're sinful, and then you have these really righteous people, and all the rest of us, we just kind of hang in the middle. But it doesn't work that way. You and I, uh, human all over the earth, are only identified in two ways. When God looks down, you're not identified as kind of good, all right, good, maybe good, somewhere in between. We're only identified in two ways. You are either offspring of Adam's disobedience, which led to sin and created a nature of sin in mankind, or you are identified with the obedience of Jesus Christ in his resurrection and purified from that sin, and you have the very life and nature and are a partaker of that nature the way that it is. And when we start to understand that, as those who are righteous, we don't become self-righteous, we become humble. And we recognize and we look out and say, there's not a bunch of gray area here at where people are wandering and and sera, and, and, and take your shot at heaven because maybe you're a good person and Jesus will think you're all right. And we get mixed up in that gray. You are either partaking of the nature of the enemy or you're partaking of the nature of God. And if you're partaking of the nature of the enemy, you will be separated from God forever. And there's a place in that separation called eternal torment and it's called f- the fire of hell that you'll be in. And if we gloss the gray area, we'll think, well, maybe tomorrow I'll share with them. Maybe I'll do this tomorrow. Maybe we'll do that. But when you realize, listen, I'm not with that anymore. I'm with Jesus because I know that. But also I know that they are separate. They're not in a gray area. And I need to tell them about the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I need to tell them that there's a different life, a different life to partake of than what they're partaking of. And it's the very life of God. So in righteousness, we don't get self-righteous and say, look at me, I'm righteous and you're not. No, we're humbled because it's not our nature, it's God's nature, and we grieve in our heart that there are people going to hell, and we say, listen, we are, we have the answer, we have the bridge to that. And nobody's hanging in the gray area under that bridge, you're either on this side or that side, and Jesus is the bridge and we have the answer for them. And righteousness, consciousness is so important for that. Not that we stand on this side and go, "Ha, ha ha we're righteous and you're sinners, No. So we say, listen, we understand that because our consciousness was overwhelmed with that until Jesus came into my life and made me righteous. He made me righteous. So listen, he talks about this this confusion that we're in, if we're not careful. So he says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, unequally yoked, fellowship. Listen, he says, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? He's not putting people down. You have to understand that he's describing you are righteous, and by nature, they do things that are against the laws of God. Right? They're not subject, Romans 8 says it like this, they are not subject to the law of God Neither can be. Why? Because they're in the flesh nature, the old nature. So the old nature is not subject to the law of God, and it can't be subject to the law of God. So when we look at that, so when you understand that, they can't be subject to the law of God, for they haven't had the life of God renewed in their spirit. So what fellowship can your righteousness have with lawlessness? Now, again, when, you, when we, we seem to be extreme. I'm not talking about reaching out to them and bringing light into their life, but that close, intimate fellowship. Paul had to continue to deal with the church at Corinth in these ways. He said, listen, y'all are hanging out with people who are sinning, and you're sinning. He said, don't you understand? You've been washed. You've been cleansed. You've been sanctified. He said, man, you need to awaken to righteousness and quit sinning. Why? Because he was trying to put them down? He said, No, there are people without Jesus Christ looking for the way. And when they look at you, you are righteous, but they see you sinning and they don't know what to do. He said, If you'd awaken to righteousness, they would begin to know there's something different about this standing that you have with God that is pure. That there is a difference. And if we fellowship, he says, bad company. You might have heard this, but not known it was scripture. Bad company corrupts good morals. He said, when you start fellowshipping, having intimate, close fellowship with lawlessness, it will start to affect your righteousness. There is no fellowship. There's no intimacy. There's no true union. There's no true intimacy between righteousness and lawlessness. Come on, I know, you know if you get in that stream, you're like, i got to stay away from that. No, there, it's fellowship. We get, once we get it, we reach out to take somebody we care about and bring them over so that we can have true fellowship. So that we can have true fellowship. There's a caring and there's a loving that goes on about that. All right? Y'all with me? All right, he goes on to say this. He says, and what communion has light with darkness? Again, that sin consciousness lets us know. The Bible says that we you were once darkness. You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Everything he's saying to us and everything that we read throughout the scripture, they explain, Paul explains to the church, you were once this, but you're not this anymore. So he's not saying like you all have achieved to something great. He says, you get it. You get it. You were once darkness, but because of the love of God and your acceptance of Jesus, you are now light. In the Lord you were once lawless and without hope according to the law of God but now you've been brought over and the law and the requirements of the law fulfilled in Jesus have set you free from the law of sin and death right we're not standing here going well we go to church and so we're better than you know we understand what it means to be transferred from light to darkness from darkness to light from lawlessness to righteousness and if we get it, there's a compassion that comes up in us. We get righteousness now. See, if there's a sin consciousness, it's like, well, we're all kind of the same, and we go to church, and if you get saved, you'll get to go to heaven. No, there's a better life to be lived. And what accord has Christ with Belial? Right, He's saying, what accord has Christ's body with the body of the enemy? They don't mix. There, there's not a fellowship there. Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? So he makes this distinguish this distinguishing factor that we need to understand. From that standpoint, is we don't live like the world anymore. Our nature doesn't come from that same place anymore. It's that uh, place that we need to understand that there's been a, a great transformation that took place in the new birth, and in your consciousness, if you think, well, who am I to say, I have done the same thing, I do the same thing, I've been there and done that, and it keeps us from ministering light to them, it's that sin consciousness, right? How can I tell them when I did the same thing? Because we all did the same thing. How can I tell them? Because I've been there, but now Jesus has saved me. I can't tell that if you work harder, if you repent more, if you grind at it more, we'll get there. You can say you can grind all you want. There's only one way and Jesus is the way. He's the truth and he's the life. No one comes to the Father, not them, not you, not me. No one comes to the Father except Through Jesus Christ, and he's the one who knew no sin that became sin. He took on all that fellowship with sin. He became sin and broke the power of that over our life, that sin nature. He broke it by becoming sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. It was a nature change. It wasn't now my life with Christian sprinkles. I was a great personality. Everybody loved me. Everybody still loves me. I just am now a Christian. No, there was a transformation. You were once dead in your trespasses and sins, and now you're alive unto God. And that's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. You're alive unto God. You're alive unto God. And there's people out there who are dead in their trespasses and sins, and they so want to be alive unto God, but their mind is so racked with the consciousness of what sin has done that they need to be set free. They need to be brought into an understanding of that. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 2. All right, here we go. We're turning the corner. You all ready to turn the corner? Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And you he made alive. Everybody say, he made me alive. (laughs) He made me alive. We who are dead in our trespasses and sins, in which you once walked. Everybody say, I once walked. Come on now, if you're still walking that way, we're going to break that thing so you get to walk free. Come on, no condemnation. There's some things that we're all still walking out of. Why are we walking in them? If you go back to that statement, I still am not totally over sin consciousness. I believe that with all of my heart. I might know all that I know, but when I come back, the enemy pulls up something, and you're dealing with something from the past, you're dealing with something the enemy's looping in your mind, and it's something, oh, this is who I am, and this is what I do, and, and then you do it, and you're like, man, why did I do that? And once he breaks that, all those things start to fall off. You set them aside, and you start to walk free from them. But As long as you just think, this is who I am, I can't overcome it, I'll never do anything about it. Well, no, but by the power of the Spirit of God, the yokes are broken. Not by trying so hard. See, our consciousness of sin, very rarely do people stop sinning because they think about what they have to stop doing all the time. We think if I just think about stop not doing it, think about not doing it, think about not doing it, I'll stop doing it. No, you don't. You just think about it all the time and keep doing it. But if you get your mind on the fact that I don't even, that's not who I am anymore, I'm doing a lot of other things. And I'm deciding that, you know what, this is what I'm going to do with my day. And then if you're doing that, you find out my day is gone, and I didn't do what I used to do with my day. Instead of trying to not do with that section of my day, but all the time thinking, I got to go by there and see if I can handle it, because I think I can handle it now, and you can't handle it. You just stay away from it. Busy doing other things, and you find all of a sudden I've been doing other things, and you know what? I'm not doing that anymore. And I'm not even thinking about that anymore. And I'm not and, and you know what? I'm not dealing with the guilt of it anymore. I'm not dealing with the shame of it anymore. I'm not dealing with the consequence of it anymore. Praise the Lord. In which we once walked according to the course of this world, according to the Prince of the Power of the Earth, the Spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all, everybody say we all. We all once Conducted ourselves not continually, but we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Now, listen, this is what we know that has to be broken, and we're by nature children of wrath. We're by nature children of wrath. Paul is saying, Listen, we all deal. When we come over to Christ, when we, are, we, we decide to believe in Jesus Christ, we look and we see, this is how I once lived my life. And he says, you don't have to live that way anymore. We all once lived that way, but there's a transition that takes place. And the consciousness that you are a child of God's wrath will hold you in the course of this world. He said, we were all by nature children of wrath and we knew it, but God, but God, That's why that next verse is so vitally important. We all had a consciousness that we deserved the wrath of God, but God, who is rich, rich in mercy, because of and in order to satisfy his love for us, not our love for him, his love for us, sent Jesus to die for us. Come on, he sent Jesus to become sin for you and for me. So that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So that we could become righteous. Again, just to let you know what that means. It means right standing with God. Right standing with God. And the moment we become in right standing with God, we begin to have an understanding. I am no longer, by nature, a child of God's wrath. But now, because I am righteous. I've been reconciled. I've been made right with God. I've been restored to the right relationship, the relationship that God designed from the very beginning. I am a son. I am a daughter of God. I'm an heir of God and a joint heir with the Lord Jesus Christ. This is who I am am now. I have a consciousness that I'm right with God. Not that I'm wrong with God. Not that I'm unworthy. Not that I'm a worm. Not that I'm still a sinner, overwhelmed by sin and just been saved by grace. But I've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. I've been made right with God. And now my nature is changed. And I'm not just a sinner saved by grace, but grace saved me from that sin and made me a son and a daughter of God. An heir of God and a joint heir with the Lord Jesus Christ. I live different. I live according to a different course not the course of this world but a different world I'm an ambassador of a different kingdom and a different place I represent a different kingdom because I'm a whole different person come on it's the righteousness of God in Christ And God saved us he redeemed us turn over to John chapter 1 So when the enemy comes back and says this is just how you are, you have to say this is not how I am. Come on, on. when you start to fight and say God, I'm good enough, I'm trying my best, I'm trying my best, God, I'm going to church, I'm paying, I'm trying my best. Just say shut up, devil. I'm going to quit trying my best, and I'm going to let you do your best in me. Because when you do your best in me, I'll be moving according to the course of the kingdom of God and not struggling with the course of this world. Come on, it gets down in your consciousness. The blood of Jesus. Everybody say, the blood of Jesus cleanses my consciences of dead works. Say it again. The blood of Jesus cleanses my consciousness of dead works. Say it again. The blood of Jesus cleanses my, again, Jesus cleanses my conscience. Of dead works. works. Come on, when that's cleansed, it's washed away. I'm not feeling that way. I'm not feeling the guilt and the shame. I'm not thinking about it. But I'm thinking about him. So, well, if you're not thinking about it, man, people go and they just mess up. They just feel like they can sin because they're righteous now. No, when you feel like you're righteous, you've given that to God. Then you become a slave of that righteousness. It governs your life. See, it's when we give ourselves over to sin and the sin consciousness, the sin once again grabs a hold and begins to rule us. When we know that we're the righteousness of God in Christ, the blood of Jesus has cleansed us. It's just awesome. It's awesome. It's not something that you can truly grasp or understand without knowing that I've been washed, I've been cleansed, I've been sanctified. See, you'll get into that place and feel bad about this message. What is he saying about me? I've, I've got this issue. I've got this problem. All the people around me, all my friends got this problem. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying we have to have an understanding in our consciousness, down in our hearts, that we're not that same old person that, that gets that grind on the inside. What do I got to do? 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 And realize that truly it's what he's done. And what I do now, I do from a different source and outflow, not to try to gain some worthiness, But I do it because he's made me worthy. John chapter 1. John chapter 1. And we're going to jump in at verse 6. It says, therefore, uh, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and he, he was, his own did not receive him. But as many as receive him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, to those who believe in his name. Who are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of God, but of man, but of God. Praise the Lord. He talks about this fullness that we have, and that we've been moved into this place of His fullness. He says, And the Word became flesh, and it dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 16. And of his fullness, we have all received. Of his fullness, we have all received. And grace for grace. Come on, this is so important. Of his fullness, we have all received. When you receive Jesus Christ, you don't just receive a little bit. You receive of his fullness. Paul keeps talking about that fullness, that he is the head over uh, the church, his body. The fullness of him who fills everything. He said, Paul prayed in Ephesians chapter 3, I want you to know the love of Christ, that love that is the fullness of God who fills everything to its full. God wants to fill you with everything that he is and everything that he has. He wants to fill us with his very life and his nature. That's part of that right relationship. He is the vine. We are the branches. He says, I want you to be connected to me, that everything that flows through me flows into you and causes you to be as productive in life as you could ever be. Sin cut off that flow. Jesus restored that flow, that we would be full of it. Come on, there's a negative full of it, but God wants us to realize that we're full of it. Sin consciousness will say, well, you're a Christian, you're going to go to heaven, but don't think that you can do this and don't think that you can do that. But righteousness consciousness knows that I'm filled with all the fullness of God. As I grow in God, as I develop in God, as I have that understanding of my righteousness, there's stuff that I never knew that I could do that I can do that when I realized that God loved me so much and he restored me to this righteousness and he put his spirit on the inside of me and he changed my nature into his divine nature that the works that Jesus did these works can I do and greater works than these can he do also when I embrace that love I realize that he is able to do in me exceeding abundantly above all that I ever asked hoped, dreamed or thought the limits of sin consciousness get broken off and the understanding of righteousness consciousness and the limitless life that we live in Christ begins to emerge and it begins to be our thinking not restriction but restrictions broken off and vision and limitless possibilities opening up not because I'm limited by where I've been and the sin that I've committed but because of what Jesus did it's been forgiven it's been washed it's been broken and now the fulfillment of what I have is there he wants our consciousness to be filled up with it all right Colossians chapter 3 All right. Colossians chapter 3. Not Colossians chapter 3, I'm sorry. Colossians chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 9. Paul said this, For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, Do not cease to pray for you, to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will, with wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you might walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthened with all might according to His glorious power, for all patience and long suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sin he is the image of the invisible god the firstborn over all creation goes on to say some things about jesus this is powerful there's five things here we're going to look at real quick five things here that i hope will help you with the understanding and breaking sin consciousness in your life number one he made us, he made us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in life. He made you to be a partaker of something different than you were partaking of. He qualified you. You're not trying to qualify. He qualified you to partake of his very life. Romans 8, 16, says, since you're a child, then you're an heir of God, a joint heir with Jesus Christ. You're an heir of all things that heaven has to offer. 1 Peter chapter 2 says uh, uh, that he has made us to partake of his divine nature. It's not something we could do to qualify ourselves. It's something he did to qualify us to be a partaker of his divine nature. Secondly, to understand he's delivered us from the power of darkness. He's delivered us from the authority that Satan was ruling over our life. How does Satan rule over our life, even as believers? How does he keep that sin consciousness going? In darkness. He's the master of lies and deception. The power of darkness is a lie and a deception, right? If you're being lied to and you don't know it, it's darkness to you. You have no revelation of the truth, and so it can guide your life. You're believing a lie. He's the liar and the father of it. He's, a, he's great at it. He's a, the, the master of deception, And so the Bible tells us this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, that he has blinded their minds. He's blinded people's minds, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ would shine on them. Come on, when we don't have a knowledge of Jesus Christ, it's the power of darkness. It's keeping you bound And and the enemy knows this. If I can keep you from understanding the gospel of Jesus Christ, not just that he came and you can go to heaven, but everything that he did for you, if that revelation comes to you that you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, the enemy lost his hold. He has no more power over your life when we become truly righteousness conscious. Right? So it says right here, he broke the power of darkness. Jesus said, listen, I'll give you authority over all the power of the enemy, that once his power is broken, you never have to yield to it again. You have a revelation of who you are and what you have. Praise the Lord. Number three. Ready for number three? All right. That we've been born or we've been translated into the kingdom of his dear son. The Bible tells us that we were once under that influence of the kingdom of darkness, the prince of the power of the air. But you have been changed. You have been translated into the kingdom of the son of his love. What does that mean? That, that you've come under the dominion of Jesus, which is a good thing. You're in his kingdom, and he is the son of God's love which he's the firstborn among many brethren. When you come are translated out of this place of the kingdom of darkness where darkness enslaves you and controls you, the ignorance and deception of who God created you to be, what God created you to do, that it's limitless, that he wants you to be right with him. When all of a sudden you're translated and you have a revelation that I am God's son, I'm God's daughter, I'm an heir of God, I'm a joint heir with the Lord Jesus Christ, that everything that heaven has to offer, me belongs to me as a son and a daughter of God. His very life his very nature, His strength flows in my being. Come on, now we live in a whole, we live under a whole different control. We live under a whole different kingdom. Praise the Lord. How many of you have ever gone and traveled to a different country? Right? How many of you ever went to that country and said, oh my gosh, now I'm an Italian? Right? Or, oh, my goodness, now I'm the French. Or I'm this. No, we know. Listen. And if something happened, right, where would you go immediately? Go to the U.S. Embassy. You go to the U.S. Embassy. Say, listen, something, on, is, something is going on here. I'm a U.S. citizen. I'm a foreigner and a stranger here. I don't live according to the course of this. I'm, and something's happening. I'm going to my home ground, and I'm moving from there. We don't come into this world and go, well, I'm just of this world. Okay, surah, surah, whatever happens here happens to me. I'm subject to it. No, we're in this world, but we're not of this world. We've been moved over into a totally different kingdom, and we're right with God. Praise the Lord. Number four, in him you have redemption. In him you have redemption. Though you were a slave of sin, by his blood he bought you back. He bought you back out of Satan's dominion, out of Satan's control, right? And now, because you're redeemed, legally bought at the price of the spotless blood of Jesus, it was a legal transaction without the shedding of blood, There is no remission of sin. There is no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. It was declared by God. The blood of Jesus being shed was a spiritually legal transaction. And when that legal transaction took place and you said, I accept the price paid for my life, he bought you out of the slavery of sin and you now belong to him and the devil has no legal right to mess with you. He'll come and say, no, you want to come back here? You say, you have no legal right. He'll pull on you and say, come on, you got to do this. You say, you have no legal right to my life. I've been redeemed by the blood. Come on. If we don't know that, he'll deceive you and say, no, you got to come back here. This is your life. This is how you act. This is how you respond. This is just who you are. You're a temperamental person. You're this and you're that. And you just have to say, no. That's how I was controlled, but now I'm different. My life is different in kind. My life is different in quality. My life is different in nature than it used to be. All right, last, your sin's forgiven. Your sin is forgiven. he, He redeemed you, and you have the forgiveness of sin. Come on, to understand that in the magnitude that God understands that is liberating. It's liberating. Turn over to Isaiah chapter 43. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 25. He says this, he says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgression for my own sake. <laughs> I like that. He's like, because I love you so much, and I want fellowship with you. I blotted out your transgression. And I will not remember your sins. Come on, sin consciousness will cause you to remember your sin, take them back to him again and again and again. If we understand this correctly, he is going, what are you talking about? God, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. This is why this must be happening, because I, forgive me, forgive me. He's like, what are you talking about? You know, when I did this and I did that, this must be the cause of what's happening to me. This must be it. And he's like, what are you talking about? You know, remember when. No, I don't remember when. Because you already brought that to me, and I blotted it out with the blood of Jesus, and I don't remember. So why don't you go ahead and forget about it? (laughs) Come on. See, we get this stuff in our head. Well, I know I'm forgiven, but the enemy works in your consciousness. And because it's in your head, but not in your consciousness, he brings it up, and it starts to hamstring you from going forward. But once you realize, I'm going to let the blood of Jesus cleanse my conscience. Now when the enemy brings it up, you're like, I don't remember. God, do you remember? God says, I don't remember. So I believe sometimes there's just a legal court in heaven and the accuser of the brethren, the prosecutor is the devil. He says, let's open court today. God, I got something. Come on, you're blessing Jonathan. You're blessing him. And I got a case and an accusation to bring against him. In 1999, Jonathan did such and such and such. And all of a sudden over here, the Holy Spirit and Jesus pound the table. Objection. Objection. And the Father God says, let's observe this objection. Holy Spirit says we have evidence. Let me present exhibit A. He walks up in front of God and he says, right here, the mercy seat. Jonathan, I have evidence. Let's run the tape, please. Here's Jonathan, Jesus, I ask you into my heart to be the Lord of my life. Forgive me, wash me clean. May Jesus the Lord of his life. Wait a minute, this is 1999. I wasn't done yet. Objection, It wasn't done. Evidence. Roll that tape. Timestamp 1999. Oh, Jesus, I'm sorry. I disobeyed you. Went out and did what I did. Forgive me. Forgive me. Evidence right there. He asked for forgiveness. Here's the blood. God says, not guilty. Sit down and shut up. (laughs) Come on. Come on. Forgiveness of sin. Doesn't remember it anymore. Washes it clean. It's the enemy trying to bring it back to your remembrance and hold you in the guilt and the shame of it. But the blood of Jesus is evidence. Evidence that you've been forgiven. Who blots out your transgression. Turn over to the 103rd Psalm. 103rd Psalm, the 12th verse. Praise the Lord. That's not going to work. Y'all doing all right? All right, verse 12. It says, as far as the east is from the west. So far. Everybody say so far. far. (laughs) Come on, it's so far. As far as the east is from the west, he has removed our transgression from us. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but the east and the west will never meet. That's how far it goes. You're going to the east and you're going to the west. They just keep going. He said, listen, I'm not into remembering what you did wrong. I'm going to wash you and cleanse you so you don't have to remember what your past was like, but you can see what your future has set for you. Come on. He says, I want you to be conscious of who you are now. You're my son. You're my daughter. I have a future and a hope for you. And that future and that hope for you is without a consciousness of sin and what Adam's sin did to you and what your sin had done to you. I want you to live free as a son and a daughter of God free to serve me in all the ways that I've designed for you to serve me so that you can fulfill and be fulfilled in your destiny, be fulfilled in your relationship with me without hindrance of guilt, of shame, and of consciousness of sin, but only the understanding that you are righteous. Come on. And when you do that, you don't go out and go, I'm righteous, but let's go ahead and sin. See, that's what people think, but it's that sin consciousness that gets you to do that. I'll cover that, but I'll still go sin because that's just what i got to do. But righteousness will say, we don't do that anymore. It's not something I really enjoy anymore. I enjoy what God's called me to do. And as you grow closer to that and you step out and sin, you know that. You're like, man, I don't even like this anymore. Why did I do that? Well, because that's what I do. And for a moment, you think we're going to have fun again. You're like, I'm going to do it again. I I, I had fun doing it once, but now I don't have fun doing it anymore. Well, just go ahead and yield to that. Don't try to make it fun again. Just go ahead and yield to the fact that it's not fun anymore. Because God softened your heart and said, this isn't what I've called you to do. That's why it's not fun anymore. Come over to where you'll really begin to enjoy the life that you now live by faith in the Son of God. Why don't you stand up? Glory.